Welcome to our study of Hebrews chapter 7. Today we begin with verse 20. Follow me if you have your Bibles. Verse 20 reads, And it was not without an oath. Those who formerly became priests took their office without an oath. But this one was addressed with an oath. Quote, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the surety of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people. He did this once for all when he offered up himself. Indeed, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The author of this epistle has been making a comparison between the priesthood which began with Aaron, Moses' brother, and another priesthood of which the prophet David wrote in Psalm 110, verse 4. The latter priesthood was eternal in character after its Old Testament example of Melchizedek. It refers to the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ for his people. In making the comparison, the author presented certain arguments for the superiority of Christ's priesthood, a matter not of much concern to Gentiles, but quite necessary to satisfy the first century Jew who had a very high regard for the priesthood under the law. Converted priests were concerned about the law, and apparently some of these Hebrews to whom the author is writing were converted priests, and they couldn't get away from the necessity of that Jewish priesthood. Now in verses 20 through 22, he points out, that there was no oath made by God in connection with the Aaronic priesthood. A command of God established it, but there was no oath of God. However, in establishing a superior priesthood for the Messiah, which superseded that of the Old Testament priesthood, God took an oath to convince his people of its eternal character. Now, in verse 22, he concludes that the oath made Jesus a part of a better covenant. Listen to it. This makes Jesus the surety of a better covenant. Now, what's the significance of God taking an oath? Who needs it? God's word without an oath is good enough, is it not? Can't we trust God when he says it? It ought to be true but God, to reinforce what he has already proclaimed about the Messiah, takes an oath to establish 
this eternal priesthood of Jesus. Now, by taking an oath in regard to Christ's priesthood, God has revealed its superiority to the priesthood of the Old Testament. Furthermore, when God made a covenant with Abraham, he also took an oath. When he promised the land of Canaan as a possession of his people, he took an oath. And those promises are in Deuteronomy 1 and Deuteronomy 6. Further, in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17, it explains why God took an oath when he dealt with Abraham. Listen to it. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he interposed with an oath, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible that God should lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. See, it was to confirm that his word would not be changed. Well, Hebrews 6.13 told us that he swore by himself because there was none greater. And it reads, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now, this swearing by God is for our benefit so that we might take strong encouragement as we believe in Jesus Christ. And we, like Abraham, are believers. There was nothing else that God asked Abraham to do other than to believe. He promised him one night, as the stars of the heavens were, so would his descendants be. And he said this to a man who was quite old, and so was his wife. And it was physically impossible for her to have children, and she had none up to that point. But God promised that Sarah would have a son, and from this son, whose name was Isaac, and he was born when Abraham was 100 years old, God said there would be descendants like the stars of heaven. Well, what did Abraham do? He believed God. Now, the gospel has been preached to us in our generation. The gospel is God's message to this generation. It tells us about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, all done on behalf of the sinner and for sin, because God wanted to rescue us by his Son. Now, that's good news, and the only response God expects from us is the response he expected from Abraham, a positive response which says, I agree. That's what believing is. When you agree with God that he will do what he promised to do, then you are believing God. Thus, God swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he swore concerning the Messiah's priesthood. God not only meant what he swore, but he also conveys by those acts that some things are eternal. They will never change. Israel will inherit the land forever, and Christ will always be our priest. Now, in verse 22, we have the word surety. It says, This makes Jesus the surety of a better covenant. 
That word surety in the Greek is found only one time in the New Testament, and it means a guarantor. Jesus guarantees the fulfillment of the promises and blessings of his new covenant. God is so determined to do what was promised that in the absence of Jesus, he has sent the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. Now listen to what Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge or a guarantee of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Now that was given lest we lose heart. It gives assurance. If we have a better covenant... Now, why would we also want to have the old covenant? Well, that's the point of this teaching by the writer to the Hebrews. The old covenant guaranteed nothing except judgment. It offered no life, and it offered no hope. Now, let's not conclude that the law covenant was worthless. The writer said it was useless, but he didn't say it was worthless. It accomplished what it was designed to do, in a sense, it restrained sinners. It was never intended to save any sinners, because Paul wrote, if there had been a law given which could have given life, then indeed righteousness would have been by the law. But we must remember what the scripture says in Romans 7 verse 12, that the law is holy and just and good. So there was nothing wrong with the law. There was something wrong with people. They couldn't keep it. Now, the author uses the word better in Hebrews 7.22, but he does not condemn the law covenant. He makes a comparison. He says, The new is better because its blessings depend upon Christ who is eternal. Under law, blessings depended on your obedience. Thank God that we are delivered from the law. Now, what can be said for the priests who came from Levi? Well, verse 23 explains that the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Well, the priests who came from Levi, they all came with built-in obsolescence. They were born to die. It's not too bad for man to die, but for a priest who mediates between man and God and who is our divinely appointed hope for eternity for him to die makes man's situation hopeless. And those priests in the Old Testament, after they died, they were buried, and they stayed buried. They never rose again. Now, anyone trying to help us eternally ought not to be limited by death. Hebrews 9.27 tells us that it is appointed unto men once to die. 
but after this, the judgment. With four to five billion people in the world, there are 60 million people who die each year based on a lifespan of age 60. We are prevented by death from continuing, and so were the priests of the Old Testament. Well, what's the point of all this? While they were limited in their ministry because of death, the ministry of Christ as a priest was not. He lives eternally as a result of having conquered death by his resurrection. Well, there were lots of priests in the Old Testament. There were lots of them because they died, and there were more than 80 high priests who served from the time of Aaron, the first priest in the 14th century B.C., to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. But notice the contrast which the writer makes. He says Christ abides forever. Now, how long is that? For eternity. And concerning this, I have more to say, and I'll do that tomorrow. But listen to this important announcement as we close. The Radio Bible Course has a gift for you. It's our newly published book entitled Heaven's Password. What is this password about? It's about what God said is necessary for sinners like us to be accepted into heaven. Write for your copy today. Ask for Heaven's Password. It's free. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calabota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.